They're the best. That song is fantastic. It's great. I got my piece of paper and I was free also. Like I'm with them on that journey. I would and I pair this one in my mind, this song and Galileo together. Galileo is great. Are fantastic songs. And actually, I'm just exactly the right age and enough of a goober where when I get closer to five, I'm like, there's a little wisdom in that. Oh boy. Things you know, you, you are Rasputin. From you closer. are the Rasputin in <laughs> Closer to Five. No, 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 You're the fucking professor with the little office where you think you got disagree, all your rock and roll posters. Disagree, and you think dude, you're still also, with you want to hear another pairing? You want to hear another pairing? It's Closer to Fine and Closer to the Heart by Rush. Because uh, I've taken both of them in my I, professional life. I I'm love not it. doing that. I have Closer by, you know what my Closer is? It's Closer by Nine Inch Nails. That's the one I want to do. <laughs> All right. 50 years of music with 50-year-old white guys. Recording on that. I just made you the host. Indeed, fellas. I am so excited to see you on this fine Thursday night in November. Uh, Fed Barton. You're in your office in Knoxville. I am uh, rainy night in Knoxville, Tennessee. Tell me uh, you're teaching these days on a scale of one to 10. How are you doing? Uh, this week, I just finished the hardest week of the year for oh. towards one, oh. proximate cause, which I won't even try to explain to the listeners. But Proximate uh, cause? Yeah, it's the most confusing part of the semester. And I think I did okay, especially grading on a curve. I've had a crazy, super extra busy week. So um, I did hang in there with the teacher. All right. Jeff, Jeff Simons, where do you rank your teaching these days here in mid-November? Uh, I had a, two good ones in a row, so I'll give myself like an eight. Okay. It was good. I did, um, I've been doing uh, Modern American Voices, so I did uh, uh, Enzal Dua into Julia Alvarez into Maxine Hong, Hong Kingston the last three days, and it really can't, I really stuck the landing in the last eight minutes of class today. I was feeling pretty good about it. <laughs> But I was like tumbling in space, like, you know, I thought these three things went together. And then I, I like five minutes to go on the period. I was like, wait, I see it. And I was like, ah, and I landed, like I, you know, saw my feet and hit the landing. So that felt pretty good. Awesome. We've been working through Thomas Jefferson's notes on the state of Virginia. Interesting stuff. Yeah. Boy, that's so, DJ. I, the, for those of you listening at home, Tim has not yet revealed himself on camera yet. Oh. And so uh, well, I'm, I am morbidly curious here. So it's, apparently there's uh, a new look coming, which I'm really excited about. It is Movember. And so we're, uh, we're, did you say Movember? Yes, we're <laughs> highlighting um, men's health. Oh, we've all hit 50. This is when you got to get your prostate checked out. Am I right? Oh, so, Timmy, God. I was really, really, really hoping for the colonoscopy. And actually, what I was hoping was we would get your butt with lips drawn on it and you'd be <laughs> pulling your crack out to do your talking. If it's not that, just leave your camera off. Ace Ventura, pet detective. <laughs> he would like to ask you a few questions. <laughs> so, uh, no, uh, I like what I've done. My children are not yet sold on it. Oh, no. Oh, oh. <laughs> what, what do you think? 
Uh, I will quote the great, my younger daughter, Georgia Barton. Uh huh. There's no such thing as an ironic mustache. If you're doing it, you have to own it. That's what I think. I'm totally ironic. What? No, there's George. no such thing. Georgia. It's, it's actually, she's like, it's impossible. Irony is when you have the opposite of the meaning, but it means what it means. That's it. There is no irony for mustaches. Dang it. I know it's tough. It actually looks pretty good, though. It does I really look need mirrored good. shades from you. Yeah, I mean, it's weird how one part's gray, and the other. It is. It's kind of. I mean, unless you're in person with you, it looks like there's a shadow instead I'd, of I'd uh, connecting. I'd be so excited if someone uh, had this podcast recommended to them, and this is their first for. We are talking about a mustache that other people cannot see. I can't. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, it's the like the 1930s. Be, Jeff, Jack Benny. Jack it. Benny's about to make some jokes in a minute. No, it's no, no, dude. This is like why why text is so much better than video. Don't describe it. People, imagine the hideous looking Tim Plain mustache that Jeff and I are reacting to in this fashion. And I promise whatever you're imagining, his mustache will back it up. It's like the Grand Canyon. It's, it's just like, it's, that's how, that's how, uh, how much it is. All it right. has that much absolute value. Welcome to 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. We're part of the Drive-In Podcast Network. Go to musiccitydrivein.com for all your podcasting needs. Um, Gentlemen, it's, it's 1989. I'm going to ask you a serious question uh, about college in just a second. But Jeff Simons, let's get some music into the ears of our listeners with the Grammy winner for 1989. Go. It's the Grammy winner. Nick of Time by Bonnie Raitt. This is what, 20 years into her career when she comes out with this? 16 or 17, yeah. 71 is the first record, and this is 89, so okay. pretty close to 20, yeah. And this was a comeback for her, right? Because I, I had never heard of her before this album. Definitely a comeback record. She had been a uh, late 70s, early 80s casualty of indifference, for sure. This is actually her best-selling record, and it's not even close. She was yeah. never this big, even in her heyday in the 70s. And then who wrote uh, this? Um, who wrote this song? John Hyatt wrote this song. This is another John Hyatt. Yeah, yeah. Is this a cover or did he write it for her? Uh unclear. Right. I think it's on a John Hyatt record, but this is when nobody was paying any attention to John Hyatt. Like he doesn't break through until after this album hits. He breaks through with "Bring the Family" and then "Slow Turning," and they're both after this record. So that's amazing, dude. Yeah. Um, Jeff clued me in uh-huh no nukes concert yeah bonnie ray john hyatt doing angela montgomery 
It's the single greatest thing you're ever going to hear. It's so beautiful. It is fantastic. You agree with that, right, Jeff? I love that. And my favorite moment in the No Nukes movie is when they're filming backstage and everyone's yelling, Bruce! And Bonnie turns to somebody and like, what the fuck is up with these people? She's just <laughs> like, why is anybody else here but that guy? She's completely like, overwhelmed by by the audience's desperation to see bruce springsteen it's uh, really that funny. song is so unbelievably pretty oh god and yes, it's a classic i mean it. like uh oh it's not high it's prime right that's prime. prime yeah yeah it's, sorry it's, and it's uh, with prime prime sings it it's with, with prime yeah and it's fan i mean it's so gorgeous it, it's like she dresses that song up so nicely it oh. just sounds completely different as a duet than it did as a john prime song yeah and uh how could somebody go off in the morning come home in the evening and, and have, have nothing, nothing to, to say, say. just God. oh searing yeah. the description Rich of that relationship brutal. Yep. it's so fantastic um do you remember how bonnie rate figures in our many lifetime conversations mr plain how she figures in into our, our com- we were in edinburgh scotland okay at a bar uh-huh and i got just ruined for how I brought Bonnie Raitt into a conversation. Do you remember the context? No, tell me more. If you were, we were sitting around and one of the, one of the great intellectuals in our group came up with the embarrassing sexist idea. If you had to be stranded on a desert Island with a musician, okay. Who is your choice? And I said, without any hesitation, Bonnie Raitt and everybody (laughs) gave me so much shit. Yeah, you know, because and I, I mean, it, it, I was like, look, she's my, you know, she's age appropriate. She's sexy as hell. She's smart. She went to Harvard. I like, I would like listening to her play the guitar and sing. I would never get tired of it. Like, she'll definitely help gather firewood. She's a total team player. Like, oh she, God, there's Jeff. no way I'm gonna have this. Like, no <laughs> ego there. I'm gonna have to take care of. Like, she's the perfect. Desert Island Companion. Wow. And also, and, she ain't uh, no porcupine. So you can yeah, take she off the kid no gloves. Por- so Dude, if a good. woman ever turned to me and was like, I ain't no porcupine, take off your kid gloves, I might melt from shock. <laughs> and what oh, a great yeah. line that is. So, uh, do you remember your choice? God, no. I don't remember anything you know, about it. Surely it was you too. It was the whole band, <laughs> all of them. Who did I choose? Well, no, maybe Van Morrison. No, no, it was there was because, def- by the way, Timmy, if you get too hungry, he's good on a spit. You know what I mean? Like you can get a lot of meat off those bones. <laughs> oh my Barbecue god. Sauce basting Van Morrison for days. It's mo- it's worse than that. I think you were like you were crushing on the violin player from the cores or something like that. You had like a really specific no, like totally, totally not buying any of this. Anyway. I still remember, like the whole the, nobody at the, the table, table backed me up. I stand yep. by my choice to this day, Bonnie. <laughs> good, good work on you. Uh, all right, nineteen eighty nine. Y'all are in college. Uh, let's see what's happening in the world. Ted Bundy. Wait, hold on, Timmy. Yeah. I actually have a nineteen eighty nine college story that is very related. Oh, oh true. Right. My beloved older daughter, Dahlia, came home. Um, over October break and unbeknownst to Indian me, she went through our old photo albums and took what she considered to be weird artsy pictures and that she has them on her wall at college. And it's a really neat little like photo collage. Anyway, there's like 10 pictures and um, she sends them to the family group chat 
and India's like, what's that picture on the upper left? And Dolly's like, I don't know. It's like some filthy hole. And it's my sophomore year dorm room. <laughs> and there's like trash everywhere. It's an amazing, Jeff, do you remember this? I had completely forgotten this. I've got a freaking fantastic 1977 black and blue Rolling Stones tour Japan poster right. with a bunch of like weird Japanese text off off i was like what happened to that poster that's off the hook yeah um but the room is so unbelievably disgusting this like clothes but it's like it's not only clothes like clothes is regular there's like yeah. uneaten food Dick and wings. open food and trash everywhere <laughs> anyhow i was like do do dolly was like i think maybe this is a, like a place that you and mom live and and india texted back just right away no like i would never live like no, that that's not. i would i would i didn't even date this guy when this happened and then, Timmy, on a related topic to last week, I was thinking back to sophomore year and my, my troubles with the ladies. And, you know, it's, it's a weird thing. You guys will be very surprised to hear this, but I would occasionally be able to convince a woman to come back to my room, but they never stayed. Isn't that strange? Oh, <laughs> why so would odd. that be? I, I, and when I saw the picture, I was like, it must have freaking stank in there. Like my complete <laughs> lack of knowledge of what women are like at all. Like by just complete, <laughs> totally oblivious. Just, what an idiot. Totally oblivious. Amazing. Seriously. It's like, you know, it would have taken me 10 minutes to clean that up. And that yeah. would have worked out a lot better for me. That is hilarious. Do you know who texted me two days ago from college? Who? Dahlia Barton. She had oh, quest nice. questions about a uh, performing arts high school that she was researching out here in Oakland. It was so lovely oh, to hear cool. from nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Speaking of the Bay Area, in 1989, you had a bit of an earthquake. Yeah. I was. At, I remember um, we were watching the game at Haverford, and a guy on the hallway across from me had flown home to go to the game. Oh, God. And as sports editor of the paper, that was my big, exciting interview the next week where I interviewed him about what it was like to be in the stadium when the earthquake hit. It was pretty. That must have been terrifying. Yeah. What's the biggest one you've lived through out there? Nothing like that. Nothing like that. I haven't, we, I hasn't been one that was super concerning since I lived here. Not. yeah you've had everything else but we've had a few things yeah but not not the big shake it's coming though it's coming we're long overdue so oh, great um oliver north is convicted in the united states senate was justice served gentlemen i mean he's a free man doing talk radio so no he was not torn alive by dogs uh okay so no, I would say that Justice Sinatra. That's, that's smarmy. I really dislike him. He really he represents a lot of things I have problems with in general. Just like that overconfident macho bullshit and like a belief in total authority when it's not earned. Like he pushes a lot of my particular irritation buttons and wraps them up in a nice little package. I really don't like him. Would it surprise you to know that I used to skip school? here my senior year of high school to watch the iran contra hearings I, at this point nothing surprises me totally was so that, I were guess you boning not... up for your next column at the situation <laughs> you definitely was were you were you in support of mr north at that moment or? i was indeed at that wow time. yes yeah oh, you're the best man you followed yeah. up your hard-hitting pro bork thing with the pro oliver north thing right it's just a political prosecution. Everyone knew that, Tim. By the way, that played well with the ladies, too, for sure. Well, 
when I got when I landed that interview with Fawn Hall, I was very excited. Hey, there we go. Fawn Hall. I forgot all about her. Ah, uh, all right. Well, let's get to the number one album, Jeff Simons. This surprised me. Did it surprise you? I guess it doesn't. It was never my number one record, but um, I'm sure Ben will explain to us After why. After Tracy Chapman, I mean, like nothing's going to surprise. Oh, you know what? That's that funny. Was... That's right. It was Tracy Chapman. This is if Tracy Chapman is the alpha. This record is the omega to that alpha. It's everything that record is not. It's the number one album. Bobby Brown by Bobby Brown. You know, it's great. Tracy Chapman, when she's singing, he had a fast car. This is the fool with the fast car. That was him driving the fast car at the beginning of the song. Like that, that is so great. He had a ticket to anywhere. Here he comes. Um, I think it's a nominee for best use of vocab in a song. Prerogative is a good one. It it they had to remove that from the SAT list. It was just everyone knew what it was then afterwards. That's so funny. I remember the first time I heard him sing, it's my prerogative. I was like, did I hear that right? I must not, I must not be paying full attention. Oh, dude, I was still, I never, I didn't get past the get busy. Like, I got yeah, so right. excited by that. I was like, I will. I'm going to work on that. Oh, oh, my God. The best thing about Bobby Brown is Maya Rudolph doing her Whitney Houston impression where she's like, you wronged me, Bobby Brown. Bobby Brown, you did me wrong. That's my favorite thing about him by far. Yeah. It's yeah. so hard to choose. has <laughs> so many great moments. Flannery well, is on this One Direction kick and everything's One Direction and Harry Styles. I'm like, you got to go back and do a little new addition in your life. Start listening to Bobby Brown, Ralph Tresvant, Bill Bib DeVoe. I do like Belle Biv DeVoe. Ben has the best of Belle Biv DeVoe, which he saves because the liner notes are so hilarious. What is the liner fantastic. That poison, that poison song is just inexhaustibly fantastic. I love that song. <laughs> so uh, the short version, I'll try and do the short version of the story. First of all, I got I got the record that had poison on it. And this was during the time where I had like eight memberships to the BMG record. Club. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> so I already had the only useful. <laughs> Belbo DeVoe record, but then they had Belbo DeVoe's greatest hits, and I was like, you know what? Okay, let's do this thing. Let's go ahead and steer into it because there's, I think, there's two more records after the. I think the first one's called Belbo DeVoe, and then, um, so anyhow, it's actually it's a little bit of a sad story. The um, first album comes out, and it a similar thing happened to Boys to Men. They were just under continuous assault because at the same time, this like really wimpy. Not, I mean, Poison's not wimpy. But where this like dance music is coming out, hardcore gangster rap is coming out. And the Bill right. DeVoe guys were embarrassed. They were like, oh, oh we, what we need to do is do a gangster rap album. And then they put out two gangster rap albums that were 
not a so good. That's your minor <laughs> All of the greatest hits pretty much came from the first record, and the other ones were like, oh, fellas, right. like, please don't read your mentions. Like, don't like this is like pre Twitter, but don't listen to the critics. You know what I mean? Like, there's no, you don't have to put out a gangster rap record. Just put out, you know, Poison and then maybe Avalanche. Like, just keep choosing different disasters <laughs> and put that beat behind it, and you'll be fine. All you need. Well, all right. Well, I've got an invitation to cynicism here. In 1989, the Indigo Girls released their debut album, which includes the song Closer to Fine. And Jeff, we were in graduate school. Oh, boy. And you and Big Mike were taking turns on the piano and the guitar and we're having a big sing along and we're just jamming any song. People keep throwing songs out and you guys keep playing them. And then a fresh out of college girl comes up and she's like, do you guys know Closer to Fine? And you and Mike, without looking at each other, just looked at her and said, huh, no. That's so mean. Which was a lie. It was a lie. We both knew it. We knew it well. And why is it that you wouldn't play Closer to Fine? Closer to Fine is in the same category as Brown Eyed Girl. And like Louie Louie and oh, like man. songs in Let a sing along. Look at Ben's head's gonna explode. Hard no. They're, they're Hard just songs. No. They're songs that at that point were played so often and requested so many times that they were just hard to find the I had a hard time finding the energy for them. But that's that's my own. I'm working through my own stuff. Ben will now explain why I'm but a monster. You and Mike both had a hard time with Closer to Find. I played Closer to Find at a sing-along probably 300 times up to that point. It was the song everybody asked for. And like American Pie, it's the song that everybody asks for. On a verse two, they're like, how's you have to Oh, they lose Professor, it. They don't know the words. And you got to go back <laughs> to the chorus again. Like, it's it's one of those songs that's complicated enough that people think they know it and they don't. And so Big Mike and I had just silently agreed like yeah that one's that one never turns out the way everybody thinks it's gonna i am i am so excited for ben to ride to the defense of going crazy uh first of all go ahead ben first of all there will be many many pieces of my idiocy very sad about just late homophobia i'll leave that there second (laughs) of all i'm just gonna leave that there i'm not gonna say anymore there's no one to belabor it somebody it's okay it's okay (laughs) Just, 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 just let it sit there. Second of all, they're great. I love them. They're awesome. I've seen them in concert. Like I've times. seen them in concert. My dad loves them. They're the best. That song is fantastic. It's great. I got my piece of paper and I was free also. Like I'm with them on that journey. I would And I pair this one in my mind, this song and Galileo together. Galileo is great. Are fantastic songs. Great. And yeah. actually I'm just exactly the right age and enough of a goober where when I hit closer to five, I'm like, there's a little wisdom in that. Oh boy. There's things you, know, you, you can are learn Rasputin. from You closer are to... the Rasputin in <laughs> closer to five. No, 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 you're because... the fucking professor with the little office where you think you got disagree, all your rock and roll posters. Disagree. And you think Dude, you're still also, with you want to hear another pairing? You want to hear another pairing? It's closer to fine and closer to the heart by Rush. Because uh, I've taken both of them in my uh, professional life. I I'm love not it. doing that. I have closer by, you know what my closer is? It's closer by nine inch nails. That's the one (laughs) I want to (laughs) do. All right. 
We can have right. our listeners tweet their favorite closer songs. You know what though? Ben's not 100 percent wrong. I really don't dislike that song nearly as much with 20 years of uh distance from it. Dude, it's on my running mix. I love that song. Yeah, that I'm not sounds in your running mix. I'm not that going song, that far. That song and Galileo are on my running mix. I love them. They're all-time classics. Oh, I love like, Galileo, but um, it's a whole for me. That's a whole different level. They got so much better on that Rites of Passage record. They jumped them. They jumped like eight eight levels ahead of themselves. Did you like their um, their Dire Straits cover, Romeo? And no, Jewish? I hated it, but that's no, okay. I, yeah, that's okay. Uh, the rest of the record, there's so many great songs on that record. Ghost is great uh does that oh. have the headed south song or the down south song that song is great too i don't know chicken man's great on that record that song kicks ass that's a great song so all right and i've seen them at concert they sound just like the record incredible blend they're great and the fans are the greatest and they have they have great fans yeah yeah my my latent homophobia notwithstanding <laughs> sheesh Send your cards and letters. Over you. Send the your best cards thing is, and you're letters. You're like laid down in the in. street like you were looking for your keys and I just, just waiting for me. It's like there's beep, beep. It was coming. You just sat there. <laughs> it was right there. Uh, all right. So I've got one more 1989 music question for you guys uh, before we get to our three albums. This is a description from Paste Magazine. What, what are your thoughts on Paste? Pace Magazine is a really good magazine. It's still going, and uh, they almost reviewed River Run. And oh, then, what does uh, that mean, almost? And then, and then they didn't follow up, but they gave an initial in interest in reviewing it that never got. So I'm, I remain hopeful that they may one day write about me. Well, so. what can we do? Can we tweet at them or something? I mean, try whatever you want, but. All right. Well, they're, <laughs> they're uh, their eighth best album for 1989 is Tom Petty's Full Moon Fever. And I want to read you their review real quick to have you react to it. Everything about making Full Moon Fever was different for Tom Petty. Writing it, recording it in guitarist Mike Campbell's garage, and his choice of collaborators. The result was the best album of Petty's impressive career. Though Full Moon Fever was his first album not to build the Heartbreakers on the cover, most of them contributed along with Petty's Traveling Wilbury's bandmates, Jeff Lynne, Roy Orbison, and George Harrison. Lynne was the biggest influence, giving Petty's immensely catchy songs a glossy sheen with layers of guitars, synthesizers, and dizzying stacks of harmony vocals. With Free Falling, I Won't Back Down, and Running Down a Dream, the album features some of Petty's most recognizable songs, but even the deep cuts here are first rate. Reaction. It's not his best record. It's good. And we've buried this but record before. Record. I mean, this, this, they, it couldn't be more right. The songs are great. Free Fallen is a great song. I Won't Back Down is like the, the, the solo acoustic version of I Won't Back Down. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, honestly, I even prefer the Eddie Vedder version. There's an Eddie Vedder version, just him and a guitar where great. he's like, and I won't. Like he's so freaking livid. Like the anger in that song amazing it's but, as and, good as anything woody guthrie wrote that's how good yeah. i won't back down is right and i mean even the second the second side which has none of the hits on it um you're so bad and the apartment song like there's some good songs on this record for sure but the the production just is is a disaster in my opinion yeah uh wildflowers is better damn the torpedoes is better um i prefer southern accents well I, I mean it's funny though what they're claiming to be the real strength of the album is the exact 
thing, thing that... I don't like about it. Yeah. It's like if Electric Light Orchestra did a Tom Petty record. I mean, it's exactly what it sounds like. And if you like that big, glossy jazz hands production, you would love it. But um, I think it sounds like a demo record uh, that got pushed through a, a bunch of compression and, and reverb. It bummed me out when it came out. I was like, this never, it's a record that never loses control. It's always about having a background that serves the vocal. And it's never about the way the background could bring the vocal to life by doing something interesting. Like there's not a single drum fill on that record that catches your attention. There's not a single bass choice because that was the whole point. The How point about the was solo like, on Running Down a Dream? The solo on Running Down a Dream is really good. But I mean, yeah, there's some guitar solos that are great, but most of the background is like deliberately in place to service the vocal. It's pop yeah, music. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, it's not going to be one of our three albums, but let's get to our three albums. Our three albums. I'm up. Yeah, first. I'm up. And I have a question. And Bonnie Raitt served this just fabulously. Okay. I would like to hear off the top of your head, your your all-time comeback records. Ooh. Oh. Okay. We, we'll cut out the dead space. Don't worry. <laughs> For those of you listening at home, Ben and Tim are thinking. <laughs> <laughs> all-time comeback records yep so back in the high life back in the high life by stevie one was a great choice off the top of your head well done but that's also the music like 15 year gap yeah no, that's great that's a great choice so there's bob dylan's comeback which one do you do yeah. blood on the tracks or do you do oh mercy or do you do time out of mind oh mercy was this year so i was gonna say oh mercy it's a good one I have Private Dancer by Tina Turner on oh, my list. That's a great one. Yeah, I had American Recordings by Johnny Cash okay, on my that's list. That's a great one. Although he, yeah. And I had John Fogarty's Center Field on my list. That's a great one. Yeah. And actually, you know what's weird is I was thinking about, I, I actually heard Center Field this morning and I was thinking about it. This was the era of that thing where like, like middle-aged white guy rock stars all of a sudden had big hit. Robbie Robertson. Yeah, had a big hit album in this stretch. Center Fields, another one of them, and yeah. um, what's his name, the Sledgehammer guy. That was another Peter one. Gabriel. Yeah, finally, all breaks of these through. things happen at the same time, and they were weirdly connected in my mind. Yeah, especially the Steve Winwood, Peter Gabriel thing. That felt like it was all kind of the same dudes. Yeah, doing records. So my pick for 1989 is a comeback record. All right, um, and it's by one of those white guys who's been around forever. Um, and uh, this is a comeback record, not because this guy ever totally went away. This isn't like a guy who completely fell off the radar, but it's a guy who finally made a great record again after making a series of troublingly atrocious records. I'm pretty sure I know who it is, and I can't wait to talk about the bad records. It's going to be yeah, really fun. It's going to be really fun. So um, Neil Young uh, rose to fame and started in 1969 when he put out Everybody Knows This is Nowhere, which had Cinnamon Girl on it. It's when he gets the band Crazy Horse together. He joins Crosby, Stills, and Nash for a record that's like, you know, they were basically the American Beatles for a year before they fought themselves into breaking up. They made it after the Gold Rush. He made Harvest. He made a 
wonderful trilogy of records in the mid 70s that we've talked about tonight's the night and on the beach and zuma he makes a couple of meh records in the mid to late 70s but he comes back with rust never sleeps in 1979 which has got powder finger and uh hey hey my my and i mean it's just chock full of great songs and then something happens neil gets restless and he starts to genre hop and the first one is hawks and doves which is kind of a maybe a country record but it's leftovers from other sessions then he makes reactor where he starts to mess with the sound of his guitar and i think he's been listening to van halen a little too much but without any of the insight into the gear or the ability of eddie van halen <laughs> then he makes trans which is a record where he speaks into a vocoder through the whole thing and so the record is bad neil young music with the domo origato mr Roboto voice over the, the top way, of it's, it it's it, you cannot describe how bad it is yeah no i mean i'm doing it i'm being kind it's hey, one Jeff, of the worst records ever made by a major artist. Um, Hawks and Doves. Yep. Reactor. Trans. Yeah. Peak chart position for those three albums. I have no idea. Which do you think was the biggest seller? Just peak. I don't know the total number of sales. But what peaked the highest between those three albums? Oh, my God. It's got to be Reactor. It's not Reactor. Reactor clocks in at 27. Okay. Hawks and Doves clocks in at 30, and Trans comes in at 19. Oh, my God. That record Isn't hit that the top amazing? 20. Do you know how mad a, all those kids were when they took that record home? A top 20 album. That's unbelievable. So Have you bad. ever heard any of Trans, Tim? I have not, no. You got to do yourself a favor. It's like it's like listening to William Shatner sing rock songs. It's really <laughs> unbelievable. Then it gets worse. Indescribably, it gets worse. The next record is a rockabilly record called oh. Everybody's Rockin' and Nobody is Rockin'. It's like number Neil 46. Young, Neil Young not tries to do like old Chuck Berry rockabilly songs very badly. Then he makes a folk country record called Old Ways, which is so bad that Geffen Records, his label, sues him for breach of contract for not sounding like Neil Young. Wow. David Geffen sues his old friend, Neil Young, for turning in records that are so not Neil Young and so bad that he can't release them. That's followed by a record called Landing on Water, where Neil takes the trans vocals and the bad rock music of Reactor and kind of smushes them together. That's followed by a record called Life, which is supposed to be a Crazy Horse reunion record, but which has the loudest, worst sounding 80s synthesizers on the top. It's like a Neil Young record in the background while somebody figures out how to play a Yamaha DX7 in the front. I cannot overestimate how, how wrong the mix is. Wow. Just pick any song on that record and listen to 30 seconds and when the keyboard comes in like -da -da -da, so <laughs> loud and, and disproportionately out of sync in the mix, you'll burst out laughing. That's followed by a blues record called This Notes For You, where, oh, which features that. which features the, the couplet Ain't Singing For Pepsi, Ain't Singing For Spuds, recur referring to Spuds McKenzie. The Bud Light dog. Yes. And by the it's way, Jeff, a... you're with me, right? I bought all of these. Yes. Oh, I bought every single one. Kept waiting. Oh. Every single one. Oh. I, I like seriously. I was like, here's an American master. Like I, I really, I thought I had season tickets to Neil Young. He's, 
he's Canadian, right? Yeah, whatever. but whatever. <laughs> I know with you too. I think he's so entrenched in American iconography. But yeah, he is. There is a road. There is a road in Lake Lake Ontario. But by the way, Timmy, if you told me that, maybe I would have known. I could have saved yeah. my money on the Blue Notes record, which so, I definitely bought. For by sure. 1989, I'm just like. I'm, I mean, I, he's become a cartoon because he's getting older and the mutton chops are looking worse and worse and he's getting a little heavier and like each one of these genres things is a failure and he's kind of like he's becoming a joke and in 1989 he puts out a record called freedom and I am prepared to give it its due and throw it away and like stupidly buy it and I think you know at this point Ben like me you're waiting to buy these records when they're like a dollar on cassette in a right, used right. record store like I'm not that stupid like <laughs> I'm picking them up late used damaged like cut out bin and they're Wait, but still you not excited you don't remember when you bought this record because I remember uh, it vividly oh so I this record comes out the top the the cover looks promising he's playing an acoustic guitar in an outfit that's not a genre outfit embarrassing and by the third song, I'm like, holy shit, this is a real Neil Young record. Yes. It's not just a Neil Young record. It's a great Neil Young record. It starts with a solo live acoustic version of Rockin' in the Free World. Which, by the way, in- as soon as I heard Rockin' in the Free World on the radio, this is why I remember it. Yeah. That, that, I heard that song before it came out, and I was like, well, okay then. Yep. I knew. I mean, I knew like that at the, at the first 30 seconds of that song, you were like, ho, ho. Welcome back. But and the record holds up. Crime in the City, the second oh, song is a great story yes. song. Uh, we got Don't Cry. We've got El Dorado, which is fantastic. We've got um, a ripping cover of, of On Broadway, the old song by the Drifters that George Benson had a hit on, where he turns it into a song about how the inner cities have collapsed and the crack epidemic. It has a great, weird, long kind of art rock song called No More. It has a great old ballad uh, saved from an aborted 76 record called Too Far Gone. And it closes with the full rock and roll version of Rockin' in the Free World. So like Tonight's the Night, it begins and ends with the same song, two different versions. Um, And don't sleep on Wrecking Ball, too. That's great. Wrecking Ball's great, which which Emmylou Harris turns into a phenomenal cover, right? This is a great record. It's aged well. It doesn't sound dated. The, the the sonic experimentations he does in this record totally work for me. They still sound great. And I'm actually going to play a clip of a song that, that does that. This is Neil Young's great return. He follows it up with another really great record the next year called Ragged Glory. And it makes him relevant again. Um, and I like Harvest Moon. He hit three yeah, in a row. He really does have a, he really gets a hot streak back, but um. I think this is my all-time favorite comeback record. And I would say, considering bands we've talked about before, this is Neil Young's Tattoo You, right? The Stones in 81, like Some Girls is a great record, but in 81, the Stones go into their archives, dig around and find all these old songs that, that they abs- they mistakenly let go, write three or four new ripping ones and just own the whole year with a feel-good like one of the few Stones records after the heyday where like you just put it on and listen to it. You don't have to get embarrassed or fast forward. And this is Neil Young's version of that. This is my, this was not my very favorite record of this year, but it's damn close. And it's one of those records I played to death in the year it came out. And I still really like it. I'm going to play a section from Don't Cry, which is not as well known a song because it gives you a great sense of what this record sounds like. It's got all this open space the, the rhythm section is not crazy horse. They're much better. They're much more precise. 
and and you can hear what he does. Um, he's singing really well and plaintively, and he, but he's also like taking his grungy guitar thing and pushing it to the absolute ridiculous edge, and it totally works. So here's a, a minute of "Don't Cry" by Neil Young from 1989's "Freedom." Freedom by Neil Young. Don't cry, my sweet girl. Nothing I say is written in stone. Don't cry, my sweet love. You won't really be alone. I'll help you pack your things. I'll walk with you. I've never heard that song before. Yeah, it wasn't a hit, but it really does capture the. I mean, there's other songs people know really well. I just wanted to nice. throw one on there that really kind of gets at this what sonically has aged so well about this yeah, record yeah, yeah. for me. So good stuff. I yeah. love Harvest Moon. Am so I, I thought sap? there was a go ahead, Timmy. Am I a sap for liking Harvest Moon? No, no. I think that's the record's great. Yeah. And if India can can't hear her here, she that's the record she likes. And actually, at the beginning of this, I was like, oh, Jeff chose one she might like. But then when the angry guitar came in, you lost her for sure. <laughs> but she's but got songs this- on here. She'd like Hanging on a Limb. She'd like The Ways of Love. She'd oh, like acoustic, Someday. She'd acoustic, like Wrecking Ball. The acoustic rocking in the free world she likes for sure. Yeah, man. There's, it's some, this, this is one of those Neil Young records where there's somebody, there's something for every Neil Young fan and all of it is good. Cool. You know? Dude, I've got another one. Like a, a rough contemporary comeback record that I thought you were going to choose. What do you got? Guess what it is. See if Jeff can get it. I can't get Released it. January 1989 after really? a series of bad records. Lou Reed's New York. Oh, New York is this year. That's a great call. Isn't that great? It's really, really similar because Lou Reed went through his own weird trance oh. period yeah. where it was. So like- this is this is like people are coming out of the 80s. People like had that embarrassing five or six years where they're chasing trends and failing miserably and everybody yeah. just went because you could argue steel wheels is a comeback record same year right like the stones yeah, have essentially is good but yeah but i mean like after undercover stiffs and uh and dirty work is not i, per- I actually prefer undercover and dirty work to steel wheels That's is that right i like yeah. undercover actually undercover is a sneaky great stones record you're right yeah i take that back all right, all right. i see the floor all right, so I'm going to tell a long, weird story. And um, Jeff, just jump in when you know what I'm talking about. All right. All right, so Matt Dyke is a <clears throat> DJ in New York. He moves out to LA. 
and he's working at the Gagosian Gallery in West Hollywood. Basquiat comes out for a residency and they live together for a year, this weird DJ and Basquiat. And there's like a whole bunch of amazing pictures of it. And much of his most famous work was done in this residency. At the same time that he's doing this, he's still DJing. He's got a club called, I think, Power Tools or maybe Power Trip. And um, he gets to be friends with Michael Eze, Eze Simpson and John ah! Gizmo King, the <laughs> Dust Brothers. <laughs> yeah. He starts a record label called Delicious Vinyl. And they're like all of these like white hipsters in LA doing this like white hipster DJing thing. They get a visit from Adam Horowitz, Horowitz, King Ad-Rock from the Beastie Boys. Okay, so in 1986, the Beastie Boys record comes out. They've had a medium long career as a punk rock act before they become this frat rap act. They get into pissing match with their label and with their producer and they just leave and sign elsewhere. And then they go into the wilderness, like into the deep wilderness. And I had this really vivid memory of talking to this dude in high school, I guess it was high school, 86 is when it comes out. I must've been home and break in 88 or 87. Anyhow, he was like, listen, I know people at Def Jam. And I was like, sure you do. And he was like, they tell me the BCs are lost. They tell me the BCs have no idea what they're doing. And I was like, really? Because I was like, I love the last record. And he was like, no, 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 man, no. They, they, they got rid of their producer. He's like, they're just sitting in a room making samples and they can't even rap anymore. And I was like, ha, 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 sure. <laughs> the funny thing is that, I, and at the time, I thought this guy was definitely lying. When I look back and I'm like, probably actually did know somebody yeah, he like might, that, he i assume that right was what yeah. the people at def jam were actually saying because yeah. they appeared to lose their minds i mean they had a massive gargantuan huge number one hit in 1986 and it's super funny like i've repeatedly get including Bell Bill DeVoe, i've given the same advice over and over again it's like you know don't mess with success like if, if you could be acdc be acdc but that is exactly what they did not choose and actually it's super funny because like run dmc tanked after this like every all of their contemporaries except for um public enemy who kept evolving beyond it tanked at this time <clears throat> and that entire sound went down the tubes but they got out of the boat right before it happened so they're just like three years in the wilderness they move out to la they're hanging out with these weirdos so these two guys the dust brothers are other djs and they horowitz is hanging out and he's like what do you got and so they're just playing an instrumental track and they've got half of the music that becomes Paul's Boutique just as an instrumental track. And uh, Jeff will know this. Without a lot of money, what they actually did in that time is amazing. Oh, It's amazing. The amount of time that it would take with a four track to like sample the pieces that they did and layer them on top of each other. So it's actually sort of fun. Um, DJ Girl Talk is a good one to look to, or you can do it for um, DJ Shadow, but you can go on YouTube and then they'll show you how to use a computer to just yep. make those songs. And it's really, really easy. If you have GarageBand on an Apple, you can make those songs or your own versions of them, like just no problem at all, because you have unlimited tracks and it'll do the cutting and it'll do all the looping for you. You don't have to do any of that as an analog matter. The Dust Brothers created all of this music with the weird drops coming in and out. Um, and it's, it's actually, 
obviously the public enemy one came first and the public enemy one is at least as impressive but they were doing it in a studio you know what i mean they had all of that equipment they were not doing it the way these guys were doing it anyhow their plan is to release the music that becomes paul's boutique just as an instrumental just to clubs in la that was like their biggest their great hope this is their side project their art project jeff they actually produced three huge hit singles none of whom were beastie boy singles I only know year. one. I know one for sure. I think. Let's hear it. It's. Uh, can I play a little bit of it? Sure. Because I just like. Because you can hear. Once you know it's them, you can hear it. But until you've made that connection, you'd be like, you got to be crazy. But isn't this one of them? Bust it. Oh yeah. So much sense. Pause, man. You can hear it. This is Pulse Boutique. I love that song. Dude, they did Young MC. And by the way, that song is great. Oh, so good. Um, that whole record he is He says hello, Justin Yellow comes in next to <laughs> me. The whole record is freaking fantastic. <laughs> um, know How. I don't know if you've gone back and listened to Know How. Just stop what you're doing and listen to Young MC Know How from that same record. Banger. And they did the Tone Loke records. Oh, of course they did. They did Wild Thing and Funky Cold Medina. Oh, my God. And so the funny thing is, they they had this, their side project is doing this weird sampling project. (laughs) Adam Horowitz is like, I'll just buy that. Like, just just tell me what you need and I'll just write you a check. And they were like, well, it's not not for sale. Like, it's just this weird side project. He's like, we're going to buy it. We're going to rap over it. And they were like, why don't you just let us produce it and we'll do it together. Meanwhile, there's this, these amazing interviews with the Dust Brothers where they're like, these guys are so unbelievably stupid. They think they're going to rap over this weird instrumental. Like they thought it was going to be impossible to do because it, it's not dense the way that Public Enemy is, but it is, it's, it's complex. You know what I mean? And it's loud and there's a lot of stuff going on. Oh, it's full of stuff. Yeah. But dude, it's they not, just- It doesn't sound like you could get voices over it without it being super distracting no and there's like slow parts and fast parts and funk parts and regular parts and they just managed to piece it all together into the most amazing like uh spectacular pastiche it's really super extra mega fun for me and this will happen two other times um where i already chose two bc voice songs but i didn't choose my favorite record i get to talk about my favorite record this is my favorite bc voice record i remember vividly when it came out I had season tickets for them. I love them. Um, And I I was like, even if it's another stupid record, like, I mean, there's a really good chance. Basically, if you heard License to to Ill, you're like, the next record could be awful. It really could. Like the next record. (laughs) Yeah, they could could become insane clown posse like that. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, like that that record is is fun and charming and hilarious and unbelievably stupid and annoying, all wrapped up into one. And it just depended what they were going to choose. And they, I mean, right from the gate, they just chose something completely and utterly bizarrely different. But dude, this is how great the record is. There were a bunch of samples that I knew. They sampled themselves. They sample a bunch of hilarious stuff. They, they sampled Johnny Cash. There's a part where a rap song ends, stops in the middle, and all of a sudden he goes, I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. And then it comes in, and goes back into the regular rhythm. It's <laughs> insane. It has, I won't work on Maggie's farm no more as a drop in the middle of something for no reason. Um, anyhow, I love this record from the get i couldn't believe how freaking good it was i couldn't believe how brave it was i could very much believe how unpopular it was right although it didn't make sense to me at all i mean 
like you, I heard Paul's boutique. It was like, oh my God, major artist. Because I, I didn't find License to Ill as charming. Like I thought it was a comedy record, and I was done with it once I was wow. done with it. Like it faded, and I didn't. I was like, I will never hear from that band ever again. They are the '99 Luff Balloons of rap. And then this record, I was like, this is so good. The sound of this record is so unbelievably compelling from the second you hear it. I couldn't believe, I really still can't believe it's the same same band. It's oh, no, incredible. It's really, it's, it's super insane and um, and so brave. Like it's it's weird, like again, that these guys would do this. And then and then, then they took another three years off and put out another just like freaking banger record that actually hit after this one. Um, but I couldn't, I, like I loved it. And I also like, I, I was actually happy that it was so weird and that it wasn't popular. I mean, it just made me really happy. And, and but Jeff, maybe you disagree. I mean, I played it at every party. Like I, I, I this was on my regular dance mix, and I yeah. feel like people liked it. Like I mean, and also it's like it's hard not to like it. Mean, it's just the dance music is just yep. off the hook. Great, so unbelievable. Um, and the combination of the production, Dust Brothers went on to do a bunch of Beck records. I think they did a couple of songs on Steel Wheels. They 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 have gone on to have a very decorated. Yeah. career in and of themselves the poor guy who started delicious vinyl the original guy died in his 50s and i think matt dyke i think he, he had a bunch of drug problems so that's not quite as much fun um i and i actually listened to the entire record all the way through again for the album thing like i had my greatest hits from this album i had 10 i don't know six or seven of the songs on it um listening through it all the way through again i was like holy crap it's great there's not a bad moment on this record including just like some really really bizarre moments yep. um, here's what i'm going to ask for i'm going to ask for the first 40 seconds of shake your rump yes you are and then i'm going to get 20 seconds of the sounds of science and then we're going to count that as a minute okay here we go paul's boutique by the beastie boys exactly where to go in the song okay all right so first of all but i took an enormous amount of self-control to hit yeah. stop i right. mean first, i was oh, gone dude, i was gone shake your rump like it, all of that is samples none of that is an actual instrument in the thing so they would like cut the greatest drum fill from a 78 disco song band that just fucking kills kills so good and that wow oh, wow like the the uh the synthesizer slash turntable there the, that's the first this is the first record where that exact noise appears and that noise like lives in my dreams like i just <laughs> love that noise. that's a soundtrack to my life and i mean this is what if it's not the it's def, it's either my most quoted record of all time or among the very short list of them i quote them all the time 
And uh, just a sheer sign of joy. If my daughters were here, they would definitely report this. Just is the disco call. Like that'll just come out of my face when I'm happy. Because I, uh, anytime I'm happy and no one's around, I I do that. I'm like Jimmy Walker. I'm dynamite. Oh, yeah. That was amazing. For sure. So good. Yeah. So the sounds of science, uh, Jeff, just start at the very beginning, just six seconds of the beginning. Stop. Now here we go. Stop, stop, stop. That moo, first of all, everyone on this and everyone who's a 50 year old white guy knows that little like Play Doh can that you would turn over, like a that's that noise. And they're like, they literally, like, this is how loose they were. And also the found sounds, like, just as a DJ matter, like, this starts it all, like, all of the found sound stuff and go mixing and matching with the different stuff and layering them on top of each other. It's fantastic. And it made me laugh out loud. Like, as soon as I heard it, I was like, oh, my God. And the funny thing is, maybe you guys will get this. At first, I was like, is that the CNSA? And then I listened to it, and I was like, wait, nope. It's the little weird can. I actually knew that noise well enough to picture which fake barnyard animal toy it was. (laughs) That made it. Uh, I think if you go to two minutes, you'll hear the beginning of their sample of the Beatles, which, and and basically, so one of the reasons I choose this is, this is a song everybody knows. A bunch of the stuff that they sample, like, yeah. and you can go through the list of samples is really fun. They have them. They sample 110 records in 10 songs. Like it's intense how much they do. Um, but this one you'll get. Here we go. That's right, my name's Yao. <laughs> so, um, first, they almost got sued by the Beatles. They, they cleared almost all of these records, and meaning cleared, like, so basically one of the reasons why it was, not only was it not a hit, the record company paid a half a million bucks ahead of time to clear all of these samples. So they were uh-huh. not happy. And... They didn't clear them all. They didn't clear the Beatles sample because the Beatles would never have agreed to have a sample on a Beastie Boys record. <laughs> so they actually got a letter from the Beatles, like, we're going to sue you. And the label was like, what the hell? And they were like, listen, if the Beatles sue us, that'll be awesome. Great PR. Yeah. <laughs> Such a good Let's joke. It. It's so great. <laughs> but yeah, if you hear what they did to the end of that Beatles song, like just the remix of it and just the, like the DJ part of it, like so fantastic. Like that's a great Beatles song, but it's not a great dance song, but they turned it into it. Just uh, can't say enough about this record. Yeah. And they remember like uh, this is pre Spotify and it's pre YouTube. So uh, most of these great seventies funk records are out of print. Like they're not in print, which means you can only, and they're not on CDs. You can only get them as used vinyl and they're expensive. So if you're kids like us who are desperate to hear great music, you can't hear this music. Like you don't know how great all the Funkadelic records are because all the Funkadelic records cost a fortune to pick up and they're not on the radio. So Paul's Boutique, like I remember hearing Shape Your Rub is like, I have to find every single one of those records. And when I would accidentally come across, like 
you would be listening to something else and you would hear that and you'd I'd, I'd have a seizure like oh my god oh my god oh my god it's the shake your rump oh yeah totally and then you would buy <laughs> that band and buy that record like the beastie boys are that this record's responsible for the resurgence of partially responsible music yeah like partially responsible but like you for for crate diggers like us paul's boutique was like was like taking a graduate school course on the first 20 bands you have to find oh dude and a call to arms totally yeah it was yeah. i mean this got the curtis mayfly superfly sample with the doom 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 yep. and i was like oh, oh, oh yeah <laughs> right right exactly and that 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 curtis mayfield superfly goes into a who track i mean like they're just it's such a polyglot oh, yeah, totally there's no judgment like if it's good it's good and it goes on the record and that's another great lesson of the beastie boys is you can love Funkadelic, you can love the Beatles, you can love Johnny Cash. If it's good, it's good, and don't pigeonhole yourself. You well, I, I cannot wait to you guys uh, react to my pick because I, I, it's a band that I'm not terribly familiar with. It's a band that I appreciate, and, and I want to hear, because I know you guys know a lot more about them than I do, especially when it comes to sampling. But here, here's a, a little tip, pro tip for our listeners. If you come at us on Twitter... We will listen to you. We've, we can be bought and, and we don't even need money uh, for you to buy us. You just have to kind of compliment us and, and uh, let us know that you're listening. And suddenly your pick for 1989 will become my pick. Either of you guys know this Neil Carson. First of all, I cannot be bought or sold. I love talking to people on Twitter. I will respond to absolutely everybody that tweets us, but you know they don't make enough money to take my picks, boy, buddy boy. Let wow. me tell you. Okay, cheapers. Man of integrity. <laughs> Man of integrity. Neil Car- Neil Carlson is so passionate about 1989 that he messaged me on Twitter to talk about what he thinks is the best album, and it was an incredibly convincing argument. Me, myself, and I. Is that where we're gonna start? Oh yeah. Yes. Oh, hey, go. I got it. Not on uh, Spotify. And do you know why? Because they, they ain't playing with Too them. They're not paying for it. Three Feet High and Rising by De La Soul. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Tell me, mirror, what is wrong? Can it be my De La clothes or is it just... What I do ain't make-believe People say I sit and try But when it comes to being daylight It's just me, myself, and I You talked about Belle Biv DeVoe trying to change their style and chase what was current. Seems like De La Soul was not doing that. They were who they were. No, this is a super, super, super current sound at the time. Like this is extremely cutting edge. But it ain't Um, gangster rap. No, for sure. They, they, they're like these guys. You know, there was like at this time there was a lot of flowering of different avenues that could have possibly been but this is out of the new york kind of neo soul positive force this is oh totally this is hippie rap yeah like there's a bunch of flowers and and nice stuff on it um yeah i love this record 
um, I'm into it. That's not my favorite song from it. Though. Three is a magic number is oh, on this record too, right? Totally, that song's yeah. killer. It's just no, called it's, the magic number, and it's got the three feet. Yeah. Well, do you know where that? Do you know where that? Say it now. Comes from. Do you guys recognize that sample? You know, yeah. all through that. Me, myself, and I. There's that little say it now voice. It's from this track by the Ohio Players. I just got to play you a little bit of this. He's here, Mr. Johnson. Okay, thank you very much. Granny, they're expecting you. You're a little late, so come right this way. Start writing, okay? What? Say it now. Yeah. Say it now. <laughs> it's a song called, it's one of the first songs I ever owned. It was a song called Funky Worm by the Ohio Players. And it's like a throwaway rap song where the granny voice is in it in the background to the whole thing. But yeah, the chorus of the magic number is three. It's a magic number, and it's that sample yeah. from uh, whatever the Schoolhouse Rock, yeah. yeah, totally. And then they also yeah, this is a great call. They also sample Hall and Oates. Oh well, there you go. Right? Who knew how important they were? All right. I go for that. I do kind of like this song. Great. That sounds great. That sounds like the late '80s to me more than anything else. Like that sounds like, yeah, in a good way. Yeah, that was (laughs) like, I mean, that I just love that sound. I remember there was a great um, PBS documentary called "Rock and Roll and Unruly History," and there was a whole episode devoted to hip hop and sampling. And it was the Daylight guys that showed how they did it. Like they they had that like, you know, they could they play the track and then they they had like a big old fashioned sampling computer synclave and they put it on another eight to reel tape that locked it in a loop. And he's like, here's why I grab it. And he's like, do, 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 do. And he does the thing. And then he pulls the tape out. It's like, now I got you motherfucker. And it's one of my favorite moments of like, it really, he makes it look so fun and he makes it look like straight up thieving. You know, it really, yeah. it's a great clip. I wish I could find it. So Ben, you'll love what Neil says. He says the album, along with Paul's boutique, totally freaked out the record industry because they sampled so many songs Yeah. Uh, without paying royalties. You should let Ben rant a bit about how these two albums led directly to the DMCA, which made sampling way more expensive. Yeah, and actually, it's not not even the DMCA. It was actually there's a lawsuit over it, and then they settled it, and then they was just like everybody rolled over and paid for samples. Um, but Girl Talk and DJ Shadow have not been sued and have basically skated. I mean, part of the reason why is they're not that popular, but part of the reason why is that there's a fair use for this sort of stuff, and I, I feel like if they really went to the mattresses over it, they would win. That's what I think. I mean, again, it's, it's simple, like what we were saying about NWA, the song "Express Yourself." That would be a tough get. Yeah. Or the um, the Puff Daddy song that came out after Biggie got shot, where he just said, oh, yeah, every breath uh, you take. Every yeah. breath you take. And yeah. he brought, he gave Sting the money and uh, the bag of money and had him come in and resing, sing over it. Um, Which is he, the beginning that, of Sting's amazing career uh, working with hip hop artists that yes. led to that Shaggy record he made a couple of years ago. Amazing. <laughs> Which I still show. can't believe is a real product for sale in America. But yeah, I mean, so those things deserve to be sued. But but this this record of I mean, the three feet high and rising and Paul's boutique like if you tried to sue them it'd be really hard they're just taking let alone um, Public Enemy I mean they're taking little tiny pieces of song and mashing them all together they're clearly a new piece of art you yeah. got to do a lesson on this in your class you got to well sure. yeah then I got to pick up intellectual property as another interest of mine for sure <laughs> hey before we leave 
2016 and the anonymous nobody these guys put out a fantastic comeback record it's so good they release it for free i've got two songs on my running mix exodus and cbgb's yeah named after the thing exodus jeff do you have it no oh you oh dude all right so see if you can find exodus by de la soul okay Oh, wait. Yeah, maybe I do have this one. I think you do. because That I was a you great off. comeback record. You're yeah. right. Yeah, here we go. And you want to go, just go to the, mi- go to, go to uh, like minute two, because there's a long mumbling poem at the end that okay. just blows my mind every time. All right, here we go. Minute two, fading in. We are the present, past, and still the future. Bound by friendship. Fueled and inspired by what's at stake. Saviors, heroes, nah. Just common contributors. Hoping that what we create inspires you to selflessly challenge and contribute. Well, that's our podcast. If that's I our podcast. Isn't beautiful? Goodbye, that song is fantastic. Dude, that song is so good. That song is so good that Dolly and Georgia like it. That's how good it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good that other people like it. No, no, no. I mean, that, that kids like it. So, yeah. yeah. That sounds great. Yeah, that's the good stuff. Awesome. Good well, episode, guys. Good that was good. tonight, gentlemen. Say goodbye to the 80s. Say goodbye to undergraduate life, dreams. <laughs> 1990, we're still undergrads. That's yeah. true. All right. That's when um, I meet my beloved wife, India Kincannon. I'm in for a good that. year. Look oh, I want a story. That's why I'm going to choose Fugazi Repeater as my album. <laughs> She's I, I would if I could. I right. would if I could. I already, I already, I already played that card. I'm saying that's what I'm going to choose. That'll, that'll really right. capture the the moment. That makes romantic. me so happy. I'm uh, picking. I'm picking a record I love so much. That's going to piss Ben off, but God, do I love it so much. So. 1990 is going to be. All right. I think I'm going to pick. Oh, I'm good. All right, gentlemen. (laughs) Good to know know Ireland produced a record in 1990. By the way, just to close out the mustache talk to me, Uh, uh, you've got two options. Yeah, what do I got? You can shave that mustache off or you can gain 75 pounds. That's it. Those are your only, and you have to lose some more hair on top. If you're going to keep it, you've got to get a lot fatter. And All you right. might need to get like a little ATV scooter to drive around in and checkered pants. <laughs> By the way, I went to Lowe's the other day. They're selling motorcycles at Lowe's nowadays, like little mini motorcycles to buzz around. I was like, what the hell is going on? It's by the grilling equipment. Like, are, like, are we talking like like glorified mopeds or like souped up rascals? Like what kind of motorcycles? Dirt bike by right. the grills. So next time you're in Lowe's, Come is that up. like that's the like, that gives you a sense of how your children are going to injure themselves in two or three years, right? Like whatever Lowe's is selling by the grills is the right. thing. Sure. All right, fellas. Oh I'll see you later. Hey, if you're having as much fun as we are, leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a rating on Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a shout. And then check us out on Twitter or at our Facebook page, 50 Years of Music.
with 50-year-old white guys. Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage, behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. No more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric acid.